Bridge to Terabithia, Chapter 7, The Golden Room. Mr. Burke had begun the repair to repair the old Perkins place. After Christmas, Mrs. Burke was right in the middle of writing a book, so she wasn't available to help, which left Leslie the jobs of hunting and fetching. For all his smartness with politics and music, Mr. Burke was inclined to be absent-minded. He would put down the hammer to pick up the how-to book and then lose the hammer between there and the project he was working on. Leslie was good at finding things for him, and he liked her company as well. When she came home from school and on the weekends, he wanted her around. Leslie explained all this to Jess. Jess tried to go to Terabithia alone, but it was no good. It needed Leslie to make the magic. He was afraid he would destroy everything by trying to force the magic on his own. When it was plain that the magic was reluctant to come for him. If he went home, either his mother was after him to do some chore or Maybelle wanted him to play Barbie. Lord, he wished a million times that he had never helped buy that stupid doll. He'd no more than lie down on the floor to paint than Maybelle would be after him to put an arm back on or snap up the dress. Joyce Ann was worse. She got a devilish delight out of sitting smack down on his rump when he was sketching out working. Sketched out working. If he yelled at her to get the heck off of him, she'd stick her index finger in the corner of her mouth and holler, which would, of course, crank up his mother. Jesse Oliver, you leave that baby alone. What you mean, lying there in the middle of the floor doing nothing anyway? Didn't I tell you I couldn't cook supper before you chopped up wood for the stove? Sometimes he would sneak down to the old Perkins place and find Prince Tyrion crying on the front porch where Mr. Burke had exiled him. You couldn't blame the man. No one could get anything done with that animal grabbing his hand or jumping up to lick his face. He'd take P.T. for a romp in the Burke's upper field. If it was mid a mild day, Miss Bessie would be mooing nervously from across the fence. She couldn't seem to get used to the yipping and snapping. Or maybe it was that time of year, the last dredges of winter, spoiling the taste of everything. Nobody, human or animal, seemed happy, except Leslie. She was crazy about fixing up that broken-down old wreck of a house. She loved being needed by her father. Half the time they were supposed to be working, they were just yakking away. She was learning. She related glowingly at recess to understand her father. It had never occurred to Jess that parents were meant to be understood any more than the safe at the Millsburg First National was sitting around begging him to crack it. Parents were what they were. It wasn't up to you to try to puzzle them out. There was something weird about a grown man wanting to be friends with his own child. He ought to have friends his own age and let her have hers. Jess's feelings about Leslie's father poked up like a canker sore. You kept fighting it, and it gets bigger and worse instead of better. You spend a lot of time trying to keep your teeth away from it. Then, sure's Christmas, you forget the silly thing and chomp right down on it. Lord, that man got in his way. It even poisoned what time he did have with Leslie. She'd be sitting there bubbling away at recess, and it would almost, it would be almost like old times. Then, without warning, he'd she'd say, Bill thinks so-and-so, chomp, right down on the old sore. Finally, finally, she noticed. It took her till February, and for a girl as smart as Leslie, that was a long, long time. 
Why don't you like Bill? Who said I didn't? Jess Aarons, how stupid do you think I am? Pretty stupid sometimes. But what he actually said was, what makes you think that I don't like him? Well, you never come to the house anymore. At first I thought it was something that I had done, but it's not that. You still talk to me at school. Lots of times I see you in the field playing with PT, but you don't even come near the door. You're always busy. He was uncomfortably aware of how much he sounded like Brenda when he said this. Well, for spaghetti sauce, you could offer to help, you know. It was like all the lights coming back on after an electrical storm. Lord, how, how, who was the stupid one? Still, it took him a few days to feel comfortable around Leslie's father. Part of the problem was he didn't know what to call him. Hey, he'd say, and both Leslie and her father would turn around. Uh, Mr. Burke, I wish you would call me Bill, Jess. Eh, yeah, he fumbled around with the name for a couple more days, but it came more easily with practice. It also helped to know some things that Bill, for all his brains and books, didn't know. Jess found he was really useful to him, not a nuisance to be tolerated or set out on the porch like P.T. You are amazing, Bill would say. Where did you learn that, Jess? Jess never quite knew how he knew things, so he'd shrug and let Bill and Leslie praise him to each other, though the work itself was praise enough. First, they ripped out the boards that covered the ancient fireplace, coming upon the rusty bricks like pr prospectors upon the mother load. Next, they got old wallpaper off the living room wall, all five grayish gar garish layers of it. Sometimes, as they lovingly patched and painted, they listened to Bill's records or sang. Leslie and Jess teaching Bill some of Miss Edmund's songs, and Bill teaching them some he knew. At other times, they would just they would talk. Jess listened wonderingly as Bill explained things that were going on in the world. If Mama could hear him, she'd swear he was another Walter Cronkite instead of some hippie. All the Burks were smart. Not smart, maybe, about fixing things or growing things, but smart in a way Jess had never known real people to real live people to be. Like one day they were working, Judy came down and read out loud to them most poetry, mostly poetry, and some of it in Italian, which of course Jess couldn't understand. But he buried his head in the rich sound of the words and let himself be wrapped warmly around in the feel of the Burks's brilliance. They painted the living room gold. Leslie and Jess had wanted blue, but Bill held out for gold, which turned out to be so beautiful that they were glad they had given in. The sun would slant in from the west in the late afternoon until the room was brim of light, brimful of light. Finally, Bill rented a sander from the Millsburg Plaza and they took off the black floor paint down to the wide oak boards and refinished them. No rugs, Bill said. No, agreed Judy. It would be like putting a veil on the Mona Lisa. When Bill and the children had finished razoring the Razor blading the last bits of paint off the windows and washed the panes, they called Judy down from upstairs study to come and see. The four of them sat down on the floor and gazed around. It was gorgeous. Leslie gave a deep, satisfied sigh. I love this room, she said. Don't you feel the golden enchantment of it? It is worthy to be just looked up in a sudden alarm, in a palace. Relief. In such a mood, a person might even let, let a sworn secret slip. 
but she hadn't, not even to Bill and Judy. And he knew she felt how she felt about her parents. She must have seen his anxiety because she winked at him across Bill and Judy, just as he sometimes winked at Maybelle over Joyce Ann's head. Terabithia was still just for the two of them. The next afternoon, they called P.T. and headed for Terabithia. It had been more than a month since they had been there together, and as they neared the creek bed, they slowed down. Jess wasn't sure he still remembered how to be a king. We've been away for many years, Jess whispered. How do you suppose the kingdom has fared in our absence? Where have we been? Conquering the hostile savages on our northern borders, she answered. But the lines of communication have been broken, and thus we do not have tidings of our beloved homeland for many a full moon. How was that for regular queen talk? Jess wished he could match it. You think anything bad has happened? We must have courage, my king. It may indeed be so. They swung silently across the creek bed. On the further bank, Leslie picked up two sticks. Thy sword, sire, she whispered. Jess nodded. They hunched down and crept toward the stronghold like police detectives on TV. Hey, queen, watch out behind you. Leslie whirled and began to duel an imaginary foe. Then more came rushing upon them, and shouts of the battle rang through Terabithia. The guardian of the realm raced about in happy puppy circles, too young as yet to comprehend the danger that surrounded them. They have sounded the retreat, the brave queen cried. Yeah, drive them out utterly, so they may never return and prey upon our people. Out you go, out, out, out. All the way to the creek bed, they forced the enemy back, sweating under their winter jackets. At last, Terabithia is free once more. The king sat down on a log and wiped his face, but the queen did not let him rest long. Sire, we must go at once to the grove of the pines and give thanks for our victory. Jess followed her into the grove, where they stood silently in the dim light. Who do we thank you, whispered. The question flickered across her face. Oh, God, she began. She was more at home than magic, with magic than religion. Oh, spirits of the grove, thy right arm has given us the victory. He couldn't remember where he had heard that one, but it seemed to fix. Leslie gave him a look of approval. She took up the words, now grant protection to Terabithia, to all its people, and to us, its rulers. Arr! Just tried not to smile. And to this puppy dog. And to Prince Tyrion, its guardian and gesture. Amen. Amen. They both managed somehow to keep the giggles buttoned until they got out of the sacred place. A few days later, after the encounter with the enemies of Terabithia, they had an encounter of a different sort at school. Leslie came out at recess to tell Jess that she had started, she had started into the girl's room, only to be stopped by the sound of crying from one of the stalls. She lowered her voice. This sounds crazy, she said, but from the feet, I'm sure it's Janice Avery in there. You're kidding. The picture of Janice Avery crying on the toilet seat was too much for Jess to imagine. Well, she's the only one in school that has Willard Hughes's name across, crossed out on her sneakers. Besides, the smoke is so thick in there, you need a gas mask. Are you sure she was crying? Jess Aarons, I can tell if someone's crying or not. Lord, what was the matter with him? Janice Avery had given him nothing but trouble. Now he was feeling responsible for her, like one of the Burks's timber wolves or beached whales. She didn't even cry when the kids teased her about Willard after that note. 
Yeah, I know. He looked at her. Well, he said, what should we do? Do, she asked. What do you mean, what should we do? How could he explain it to her? Leslie, if she was an animal predator, we'd be obliged to try to help her. Leslie gave him a funny look. Well, you're the one who's always telling me I gotta care, he said. But Janice, Avery, if she's crying in there, we gotta, then there gotta be something really wrong. Well, what do you plan on doing? He flushed. I can't go in no girls' room. Oh, I get it. You're gonna send me into the shark's jaws. No, thank you, Mr. Aaron's. Leslie, I swear, I'd go in there if I could. He really thought he would, too. He ain't, you ain't scared of her, are you, Leslie? He didn't mean it in a daring way. He was just dumbfounded by the idea of Leslie being scared. She flashed her eyes at him and tossed her head back in that proud way she had. Okay, I'm going in, but I want you to know, Jess Aarons, I think it's the dumbest idea you've ever had in your life. He crept down the hall after her and hid behind the nearest alcove to the girls' room. He ought to at least be there to catch her when Janice kicked her out. There was a quiet minute after the door swung shut behind Leslie. Then he heard Leslie saying something to Janice. Next, a string of cuss words which were too loud to be blurred by a closed door. This was followed by some loud sobbing. Not Leslie's, thank the Lord. And some sobbing and talking mixed up and the bell. He couldn't be caught staring at the door of the girls' room, but how could he leave? He'd been deserting. He'd be deserting the, the line of fire. The rush of kids into the building settled it. He let himself be caught up in the stream and made his way to the basement steps, his brains still swirling with the sounds of cussing and sobbing. Back in the fifth grade classroom, he kept his eye glued to the door for Leslie. He half expected to see her come through, flattened, straight out like, a, like the coyote on Roadrunner. But she came in smiling without so much as blank eye, black eye. She waltzed over to Mrs. Myers and whispered her excuse for being late. And Mrs. Myers beamed with her, at her with her, with what was becoming known as the Leslie Burke special. How was he supposed to find out what had happened? If he tried to pass a note, the other kids would read it. Leslie sat way up in front, in the front corner, nowhere near the waste paper the waste basket or pencil sharpener. So there was no way he could pretend to be heading somewhere else and sneak a word with her. And she wasn't moving in his direction. That was for sure. She was sitting straight up in her seat, looking as pleased with herself as a motorcycle riders who just made it over 14 tr trucks. Leslie smirked, cleared through the afternoon, smirked clear through the afternoon and right on to the bus where Janice Avery gave her a little crooked smile on the way to the back seat. And Leslie looked over at Jess as if to say, see, he was going crazy wanting to know. She even put him off after the bus pulled away, pointing her head at Maybell as if to say, we shouldn't discuss it in front of the children. Finally, finally, in the safe darkness of the stronghold, she told him, do you know why she was crying? How am I supposed to know? Lord, Leslie, will you tell me what in the heck was going on in there? Janice Avery is a very unfortunate person. Do you realize that? What was she crying about? For heaven's sakes. It's, it's a very complicated situation. I can understand now why Janice has so many problems relating to people. Will you tell me what happened before you have a hernia? Did you know that her father beats her? 
lots of kids' fathers beat them. You just go on with it? No. I mean, really beats her. The kind of beatings they take people to jail for in Arlington. She shook her head in disbelief. You can't imagine. Is that why she was crying? Just because her father beats her? Oh, no. She gets beaten up all the time. She wouldn't cry at school about that. Then what was she crying for? Well, Lord, Leslie was loving this. She'd string him out forever. Well, today she was so mad at her father that she told her so-called friends, Wilma and Bobby Sue, about it. Yeah, and those two, uh, two, she looked for a word vile enough to describe Janice Avery's friends and found none. Those two girls blabbed it all over the seventh grade. Pity for Janice Avery swept across his face. Even the teacher knows about it. Boy, the word came out like a sigh. There was a rule at Lark Creek. More important than anything Mr. Turner made up and fussed about. That was the rule that you never mixed up troubles at home with life at school. When the parents were poor or ignorant or mean or even just didn't believe in having a TV set, it was up to their kids to protect them. By tomorrow, every kid and teacher at Lark Creek Elementary would be talking in half snickers about Jan Saver's daddy. It didn't matter if their own fathers were in the state hospital or the federal prison. They hadn't betrayed theirs, and Janice had. Do you know what else? What? I told Janice about not having a TV and everyone laughing. I told her I understood what it was like to have everybody think I was weird. What'd she say to that? She knew I was telling the truth. She even asked me for advice as if I were dear Abby. Yeah? I told her just to pretend that she didn't know what on earth Wilma and Bobby Sue had said or where they had gotten such a crazy story and everybody would forget about it in a week. She leaned forward, suddenly anxious. Do you think that was good advice? Lord, how should I know? Did it make her feel better? I think so. She seemed to feel a lot better. Well, it was great advice then. She leaned back, happy and relaxed. Know what, Jess? What? Thanks to you, I think I now have one and one and a half friends at Lark Creek School. It hurt him for it to mean so much to Leslie to have friends. When would she learn they weren't worth her trouble? Oh, you got more friends than that. Nope. One and one half. Monster Mouth Myers doesn't count. There in the secret place, his feelings bubbled inside him like a stew on the back of the stove. Some sad for her in her loneliness, but chunks of happiness too. To be able to be Leslie's one whole friend in the world as she was his. He couldn't help being satisfied about that. That night, he was started, he started to get into bed, leaving the light off so as not to wake the little girls. He was surprised by Maybelle's little shrill. Jess, how come you still awake? Jess, I know where you and Leslie go to hide. What do you mean? I followed you. He was at her bedside in one leap. You ain't supposed to follow me. How come? Her voice was sassy. He grabbed her shoulders and made her look at him in the face. She blinked in the dim light like a scared, like a startled chicken. You listen here, Maybell Aarons, he whispered fiercely. I catch you following me again. Your life ain't worth nothing. Okay, okay, she slid back into the bed. Boy, you're mean. I ought to tell Mama on you. 
Look, Maybell, can't do that. You can't tell Mama about where me and Leslie go. She answered with a little sniffling sound. He grabbed her shoulders again. He was desperate. I mean it, Maybell. You can't tell nobody nothing. He let her go. Now, I don't want to hear about you following me or squealing to Mama ever again, you hear? Why not? Because if you do, I'm going to tell Billy Jean Edwards that you still wet the bed sometimes. <gasps> you wouldn't. Boy, girl, you better not try me. He made her swear on the Bible never to tell and never to follow. But still, he lay awake a long time. How could he trust everything that mattered to him to a sassy six-year-old? Sometimes it seemed to him that his life was was delicate as a dandelion. One little puff from any direction and it was blown to bits.